The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. Well, the finale between the Reds and the Indians did not happen on Sunday afternoon as the snow hit the Cleveland area and washed out the final game of the Ohio Cup Series between the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians, but they'll play it again coming up in August. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell along with Blake Watson, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show as we sit down and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Blake, how are you tonight? Hanging in there, brother. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. Well, Wade Miley, I guess, is the story of the week as he becomes the second pitcher of the year to no-hit the Cleveland Indians. Quite an accomplishment. Yeah, sounds like they're the easiest team in baseball in history to no-hit. Um, I don't know if any team's ever got no-hit more than once in the season. Um, but, yeah, it was. It, we were talking about this offline over, over the weekend, and it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, you got not, no hit by a guy over 90 miles an hour 12 times in the game. Yeah, he was pretty much dominant. He had everything going for him on that Friday evening. And, of course, the Indians have been hot. They were just coming off of a four-game sweep over the Kansas City Royals. So, basically, the stars align. There have been other teams that have been no hit twice in the season. I'm going to tell you one that I found out this morning that was kind of interesting. The 1917 Chicago White Sox were no hit twice in one year, and they went on to win the World Series that year. So maybe this is a premonition for the Indians. Hope so. <laughs> I, I know, I know your wishful thinking with with that one, but I don't think the Indians, and I think you don't think they're good enough to win the World Series. Um, it, it's crazy to think about too, and you know, Wade Miley's one of those you know baseball good guys. Everybody you talk to, everybody he's ever played with calls him one of their favorite teammates. He's just a good dude. He gets by with, with you know, less than average stuff. Um, the big thing for Dave Miley this year is he, uh, or Wade Miley, I don't know why Dave Miley, the old manager there, that was bad. Um, <laughs> Wade Miley this year, he's had that curveball, man. He's never really thrown a curveball before. And then they showed the stat during the game that the first time he faced the Indians, he only threw it like three times. And he threw it like 35 times on, on over the weekend, and it was a nasty pitch. So if he can get to where that pitch is a is a competitive pitch every time out, Wade Miley can end up having a really good year for the Reds. He's actually been pretty good so far. Obviously, that you know that's the kind of the, the feather in his cap, the no hitter. But he's been pretty solid so far, and you know he didn't pitch it at all last year because he was hurt. Um, so, you know, what, what he's given the Reds has, has been that veteran inning eater, innings eater presence that they used to have with a guy like a Bronson Arroyo or a Mike Leak or guys like that that were never going to be top of the rotation arms, but always gave you a chance to win every time they took the ball. And that's what's exciting every time Wade Miley goes out there. Yeah, and the thing about it is I was listening to the Indians announcers, Matt Underwood and Rick Manning, over the weekend, especially on Friday night and then Saturday. They talked about how Miley came into the season after last year not being able to pitch. He basically was an afterthought for the Reds coming into this season. For sure. I mean, 
you know, you go into the year with Castillo and Gray as your horses, and Castillo's been very disappointing. Um, and you expect, you know, Tyler Malley to take that next step forward, which he, he has at times. I mean, he at one point was no-hitting Arizona, although he threw 95 pitches in four innings. So, that, you know, there was no chance he was going to finish that. But he's got no-hit capable stuff. Um, so, yeah, he was absolutely the fifth guy or the fourth guy in that rotation, and he's been pretty good. Yeah, now, okay, you brought up my next question to you about the Reds, and that is Luis Castillo. Blake, I've seen him throw three times this year, and he just does not seem to have command of his pitches like he has had in the past. Well, he's always struggled a little bit with command, especially early in years. Um, but, you know, we talked about it after his first start of the year on opening day, and with, with being a primarily a change-up guy, which is crazy when you think he throws 96-97 relatively easy, he still throws his change-up more than anybody in baseball. And it's a big feel pitch. And when it's early in the year and it's cold, and it's it's tough to get a feel for that pitch early in the season. Um, I expect that Luis Castillo will get better as the year goes on. The big thing for me is the fastball command. I mean, I don't understand how he just cannot. His fastball, it, it has a ton of run on it. Um, and he just cannot throw it consistent enough for strikes. The same thing we, same conversation we had about Amir Garrett a few years or a few weeks ago when he was going really bad. If you're a one pitch guy, I don't care how good the pitch is, you're going to get knocked around. If, 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 if you don't have that 96 to set, offset the 86 mile an hour changeup, which is one of the best changeups in all of baseball, it doesn't matter. If they know it's coming, they're going to hit it. So he, he's got to get his fastball command under control. And, and you know, the Reds have the, Maybe the best pitching coach in baseball. Derek Johnson's so good. Um, I, I think they'll get it figured out. Um, and, and at some point, Luis Castillo will t- return to being Luis, Luis Castillo we expected him to be. So you just expect this to be a short-term problem? Yeah, I do. I think because he has spouts where he can't throw strikes all every year. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that has kept him. Because, you know, you watch him on the days where he's really, really good. And he looks like one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Um, his stuff, everything he throws moves, he changes speeds, changes eye level, like he goes in, out, up, down at different speeds. He's very difficult to hit when he's on, when he's got command of the zone. Uh, you know, we talk about it a lot when we're doing live games for the mountain and whatnot. He's just got to get to a point where he's more competitive in the strike zone with all of his pitches. And when he does that, he's got to just trust his stuff. When he does that, he's really, really tough to hit. So I expect him to get to a point where he's back to being very competitive, top-end arm that the Reds need him to be to be competitive the rest of the year. Blake, you know, the thing on Friday night with Miley's no-hitter that was overshadowed was the performance that Zach Plesak did for the Indians, pitching eight innings of shutout baseball. And the Reds just did not seem... Even like the Indians against Miley, the Reds just didn't have an answer for Plezak. What what was your thoughts about his performance and then the way they just imploded defensively in that ninth inning? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you go into that game of Plezak versus Miley matchup, and if you're going to bet on one of the guys to have a great start, you would bet on Plezak. I think Plezak is a really, really good major league pitcher. Um 
he is definitely higher end stuff than Wade Miley has. So I was not surprised at all. He's the type of guy that gives the Reds fits. Um, you know, he's not a, he's got good stuff, but not exceptional stuff. Um, he's just the kind of guy that always gives the Reds trouble. And he did that. And the Reds haven't hit much on the road anyway, so I wasn't really surprised by that at all. Um, but that, that implosion in the ninth inning was, was pretty crazy. Yeah, defensively, the Indians have not been a good baseball team this year. And that's one thing that Terry Francona has said, that they've really got to straighten up their defense. Well, I agree with him, but Blake, for the Indians to straighten up their defense, in my opinion, they've got to settle down on some positions. Now, they brought in uh, a player from the Miami Marlins that was with them in spring training, Harold Ramirez. Now, Ramirez is a youngster. He's only 26 years old. He played well for Miami, but he caught caught up in numbers with the Marlins. But he has come in and, and was brought up by the Indians, and he's playing center field. I think that's that's a position that he is probably well-suited for. And just a year ago, Blake, he was the cleanup hitter for the Marlins. So if the Indians could find a diamond in the rough out of this guy, uh, maybe they've got something in a center fielder that they can live with. But... That's gonna, that's gonna change things around. You know, ever since I went off the deep end about Jake Bowers, he has managed to start hitting the ball. Now, what I mean by hitting the ball for him is picking up a couple hits a week. So, that is a lot better than what he was doing when he was 0 for April. So now he's got two hits in May, including a home run, and he picked up a couple of hits against the Reds, uh, uh over the weekend on Saturday. But still in all, first base is a position that the Indians have got to take care of. And shortstop's another position. You cannot go up the middle. Up the middle is the strength of your defense on every baseball team. Catcher, shortstop, second base, center field. And right now, the only solid performer that the Indians have because of Roberto Perez going on the DL for two months with a broken thumb, along with Joey Votto, who's going out for just a month, supposedly. But when you look at the Indians, of those four positions, Blake, with Perez out, only one of them is solidified right now, and that's Hernandez at second base. You cannot win baseball games with three of those four question marks on your team. Well, and without a doubt, I think the Reds are in the same boat, right? Uh, if you look at the Reds up the middle, catcher, second base, shortstop, and center field, I mean, Nick Senzel plays center field, second base, third base. Eugenio Suarez is playing shortstop, so is Kyle Farmer. Um, and then the only spot that the Reds are solidified is behind the plate. Tucker Barnard and Tyler Stevenson make up one of the better duos in, in baseball behind the plate. Um, both of them are hitting, you know, better than probably expected, and they're both pretty good defensively. Tucker's obviously a multi-time gold glover. He's really good defensively. Um, and Tyler Stevenson has equated himself pretty well. So they're in, they're in similar situations with that. They they're both juggling pieces in the middle of the of, of the team, and it sucks because you know we talked about this too. The, the when they put out that lineup on Saturday, I told you I said I kind of like the lineup um, with Senzel playing second and Naquin in, in left center and Akiyama finally getting healthy helps. By moving Senzel to second, you wink, you weaken two positions defensively. You go, you know, second, Nick Senzel's a really good athlete, but Jonathan Nini is a stud at second base. 
defensively anyway. He hasn't hit much of late, but defensively he's really good. Um, and then Nick Senzel is a plus defender in center field. He's not, you know, he's not Billy Hamilton, but he's a plus defender. Um, he really, in the Reds regular nine, he is, or regular eight, he is the only real plus defender they have. Um, and, and so by moving him, Naquin's okay, but he's not nearly the outfielder that Nick Senzel is. So it's, it just, it weakens a lot of different positions. And I really hate the fact that they keep moving Eugenio Suarez around because, yeah. you know, the guy's struggling enough as it is, quit playing with his head, put him somewhere and leave him alone. If he's going to play third base, then put him at third base the rest of the year and leave him alone and figure shortstop out, which is what we kind of expected going into the year until two weeks before they decided to try him out. And defensively, he's been okay there. I mean, he hasn't been – God, he's not Omar Vizquel, but he also hasn't been the worst shortstop you've ever seen either. So I would have just left, left Suarez alone, leaving it short. If you need somebody to play third, put Farmer or Blandino there. Um, or leave Moustakis alone. Maybe bring Castellanos or Winker into play first base. Uh, I don't really like – a little too much juggling by, by by our manager, David Bell. I like the idea. You just brought it up, and I was going to bring it up anyway. I like the idea of Castellanos going to first base because that loosens up the outfield for you to rotate those four guys, Senzel, Akiyama, Winker, and Naquin, to play the outfield. You can keep Mustakas at third base and keep Suarez at short, and that just solidifies everything. And and Castellanos has played first base before. He did it with the Tigers. He did it with the Cubs. The only problem I have with that is then you are so left and dominated in the outfield because your only right-handed outfield bat is Nick Senzel. And, and you know, uh, that's too many lefties if you're going into a series of and they're starting three straight lefties, which doesn't happen often. But if you're going into a series where you're going to face multiple left-handed starters, you know, you're either playing – Winker's going to play every day. He's earned that right. He is maybe their second-best offensive player, and he should play every day. Um, but he's hitting both right and left-handers anyway. Right. That's what I'm saying. He's going to play every day. Yep. So you're really talking about three guys for two positions. Um, and, and when Castellanos is out there, four guys for two positions. But, you know, and, it, and it just doesn't more... make a lot of sense because – any more, I like, Blake, I like looping up the outfield. I do. And any more, Blake? Though, who's got multiple left-handers in their starting rotation? Not many people. I don't think Not anybody. Many, but it puts you in a tough spot late in games, and someone's got multiple lefties in the bullpen too. Um, and it makes it really hard to do. And I'm not a big believer in the left-right, left-right lineup. Like I hit guys where they belong. Um, they just become so left-handed if you do that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I guess it's not really more left-handed because they're basically that players are placing Joey Votto, who is a left-handed hitter. But I, I don't understand why why Akiyama's not given the opportunity to play more center field. Um, he, I think Akiyama's a better outfielder than Tyler Naquin. He played center field his entire career in, in, in Japan. Um, See, I don't so think I, you're giving Naquin enough credit in the outfield. The last I two think years, he's, a good outfielder. he's been right up there in the American League in assists. But see, that's, I don't, that's fine. That doesn't matter as a center fielder. You want, you want a guy that can cover ground in center field. And I think Akiyama's a little faster. Oh, I agree in center field, but I, I, I'm not saying Naquin shouldn't play outfield. I'm saying that I think Akiyama's a little better outfielder, especially to play center field. Um, and I know, you know, Bell didn't want to put him in center to start because of he's coming off a leg injury and a pretty bad hamstring pull from what I understand. 
Um, so I get that portion of it, but you know, if he were go- if he were to go to center every game and you can move Nick Sens out of the infield, that's then I really like my team because you're you're almost platooning. Uh, you know, then you bring Castellanos into play first every once in a while, and that's when Nate Quinn gets his starts. And then I and then I like my team a lot more. Yeah, I just think you've got to find a way to settle down Suarez. Um, Suarez cannot go up to the plate and concentrate on hitting if he's going to be shuttled back and forth between third and short uh, every other game. You know, and and you brought it up a little bit about how Suarez is not the worst shortstop. He's not the best shortstop. But then again, I think when, initially when you said that, I thought about Cal Ripken Jr. You know, Cal Ripken Jr., his staple at shortstop was he made the routine plays and every once in a while made the outstanding plays. But he was not a guy that was going to make every outstanding play because he just didn't have the range. But if he could get his glove on the ball, that are, those are the plays that Cal Ripken Jr. made. Now, same thing with Suarez. He gets his glove on the ball. He makes the plays. Agree, and he, he he turned himself into a pretty good defensive third baseman. Um, he wasn't great when he first got to the bigs, and he became pretty good. Um, and I think you know, I if, if Suarez hits the way he typically does, I live with whatever defensive deficiencies he has at shortstop. No matter who you could put Ozzy Smith at shortstop, and the Reds are still going to be a bad defensive baseball team. That's just the way it is. You got too many guys playing that can't really like Jesse Winker is a bad defender. Nick Cassiano's is a bad defender. Um, Mike Moustakis is just okay. So you're 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 talking about a team that's just not going to be very good defensively, no matter what you do. Um, so I, I would be okay if he were hitting, but God, he's got to hit, man. He has got to figure that out. They've got to find a way to get him out of that slump. And I think I agree with you completely that. The first step is to getting comfortable somewhere defensively and leave him alone. Yeah, and that's what I wish the Indians would do with Andres Jimenez, the shortstop. Um, he's a great shortstop. I'm going to give the kid a lot of credit. He used to be the number one prospect in the Mets organization. He was it, and they traded him for Francisco Lindor, which I don't blame the Mets at all. But the Indians have got to find a way just to let him settle in at shortstop and just just play there and just let him play and let Rosario be the utility guy that can play all over the place. But for whatever reason, you know, I, I like Rosario in center field, but now since they have brought in uh, Hector and brought him in Ramirez, uh, I think that's, a, that's a, a guy that they've got to play. You know, here's another stat that I thought was interesting about the Indians heading into the Red Series. Heading into the Red Series, the Indians' magic number was four. In every game that they have scored four or more runs this year, Blake, they've lost once. So their magic number, obviously, is four runs scored, and they win the ball game. And that's something that I think, you know, when you've got Jose Ramirez, Franmil Reyes, and uh, also the uh, left fielder, uh, Rosario, Eddie Rosario, those three guys in the middle of your batting order, where they're being hurt is they don't have anybody right now at the top of the order or in the bottom two that are hitting for them. When those guys hit, they score runs. When they don't hit, I know that sounds elementary, but that's the way it is because Ramirez, Reyes, and Rosario, the three R's, I guess I could call them, when they drive in runs, the Indians win. 
For sure. I mean, and that's that's most baseball teams, right? Most baseball teams that aren't the Dodgers or the Padres have a, a core group of guys that they need to hit to be successful. You know, for the Reds, you would probably say it's Winker, Castellanos, Moustakas, Suarez. For the Indians, it's Reyes, it's Ramirez, it's Rosario, it's those guys. So, it, it typically that's that's kind of where you're gonna where you're gonna make your money is is the you know the guys you spend money on the guys you expect to produce have to produce and and then you have a better chance to win ball games. Um, the the big thing is trying to figure out how to get the most out of the other positions possible. Like I I said it the first time the Indians were in Cincinnati. I really liked him at Rosario, but he's only hitting 192. So I mean, no matter how much I like him, the guy's got a hitter. He shouldn't play. Um, at least not to be an everyday guy, right? I think you're right. I think I'd go with Jimenez at shortstop and just leave him alone. Um, and, and then Rosario will play center today, short tomorrow, and third when Ramirez needs a day off, and right when somebody else Nate, when somebody else needs a day off. And I think you know you're getting to a point now where they're probably going to do the same thing at first base, where it's just going to have to be Josh Naylor's job, right? Like just just believe, put Josh if Josh Naylor's your first baseman, make him your first baseman, and leave him alone. Well, like. Yeah. Play you against really tough lefties, and I'm okay with that. Um, but you, leave Naylor alone. You've led right into the next segment that I wanted to talk about, and that is, it's amazing that both the Reds and the Indians are being rumored in this, but Albert Pujols was dropped by the Los Angeles Angels last Wednesday, and within a day or two, the rumors had abounded that not only the Indians were interested in him, but the Reds were interested in him because of the injury to Joey Votto. So tell me, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Is there any interest by the Reds in Albert Pujols? From the things that I hear and see, I don't believe there is. Um, I, I don't think there's any interest in Albert Pujols for the main reason is we don't have the designated hitter. And if they did have the designated hitter, there might be a little more interest in it. Um, but if we had the designated hitter, Jesse Winker would be DHing every game anyway. So I, I, I don't see a, a world where Albert Pujols is on the Reds' radar to be the, the month-long replacement for Joey Votto, especially because after, you know, a few days they said that instead of a month, it's likely going to be more like three weeks that Votto misses. Um, so, I mean, and we're already a week into that almost – so, so in reality, by the time he's up to speed and ready to go, I don't see it happening. Plus the fact that, you know, as much as Albert Bowles is maybe the best right-handed hitter I've ever seen, he's just not very good anymore. Like, he's just – he's a 41-year-old baseball player who can't run, can't play defense. Allegedly. And can't well, – allegedly 41, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know how that goes, yeah. And he just – I he can't play first base anymore, at least not every day. I just don't see a world where he, he is an answer for the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, Blake, the the former, and I can't remember his name right now, but the former Miami Marlins general manager back in 2011 was in contract negotiations with Pujols when he was leaving St. Louis, and they thought he could really be a keystone to coming into Miami and rebuilding the ball club. Now, that being said, he also came out just about three weeks ago and said that everyone in Major League Baseball knew that Pujols was four years older 
than what he was telling everybody his age was, which would mean right now he is actually 45 years old rather than 41. That would be crazy. I didn't, I did not hear that story. I did hear a story over the weekend and I've heard it before. Um, that, you know, it, it, his final decision in free agency was, uh, was between, um, was between the Angels and the Reds, actually. Um, the Reds had a 10, 10 year, $225 million contract on the books and the Dodger or the Angels gave him 10 years, 240 million. That was the biggest difference between him coming to the Reds where he had some, his, some familiarity because Walt Jockety was a GM at the time. Um, they expected him that from what I understand that everybody in that front office expected him to be a red. Um, which is crazy to think about as bad as people were bagging the Joey Votto contract. That, that Albert Pools one didn't age well either. Oh, they would be crucifying the reds right about now over, over that contract. But as far as the Indians are concerned, you know, there's a gigantic hole at first base, Blake. There, there really is because, you know, Jake Bowers isn't doing the job and neither is Yu Chang. Uh, but then again, Albert Pujols is not going to win the World Series for the Indians. It just isn't going to happen. He's not going to walk in here and be the second coming of Rico Cardi or any of these other guys that have walked in and really managed to turn a ball club around like Dave Winfield or Eddie Murray, somebody like that. Now, Pujols could bring a professionalism around him, but I don't see the Indians. And, and keep in mind, he doesn't have to sign for much money with any ball club. He can sign for the minimum amount with any ball club, and the Angels are still liable for the rest of what he is making. So I think he's making, what, $20 million a year right now? And something $20, $22 million a year. So anybody can sign him for the league minimum, and the Angels are responsible for the rest of that salary up to the amount that he was making with the Angels. So he could sign with anybody. But, you know, the team that I think he might end up with is Baltimore. I think Baltimore is crazy enough to think, with a record of 15 and 19 right now, that maybe they could catch lightning in a bottle. They're only six and a half games behind Boston, and you know Boston isn't that good. So they're going to fall back. The Yankees in Tampa Bay, they aren't playing their best baseball. Baltimore's in a prime position right now that if they could catch lightning in a bottle out of Pujols and put him at first base and DH, they might have something there. So I could see the Orioles going out and doing something with him, maybe even Texas. You might see the Rangers do something, but I don't think you're going to see a National League team sign this guy. I don't either. And I, I, the Indians have a huge hole at first base. If Framil Reyes was better suited to play a position, I could see it being more of an option. Because then you have Pujols and him in the lineup at the same time. Realistically, it would be he might play first base once a week, um, but reality is he's a designated hitter and just not that good of one anymore. You can get better production out of someone in your minor league system right now and not spend an extra dime than you getting out of Albert Pujols. Yeah, like I, I just I don't see. Like you said, I can see someone that's. On the cusp of being okay, um, that's, you know, not far away from being a decent team or that far out of contention like Baltimore. I, I actually kind of hadn't even thought about Baltimore. I kind of like that. Um, 
where, you know, the veteran presence, you know, he's not going to be expected to come in and carry him to a World Series. But if he comes in, gets hot, and helps him make, make the playoffs, it's a big win for him at the end of the day um, and a big win for the team. So, yeah, I think I could see something like that. But in reality, you know, almost anybody that brings him in is going to probably want to bring him in on a minor league deal. So they have options to where if he's not, you know, he doesn't produce, he doesn't have to stay with a big league club. And that's just not something that I think Albert Pujols is going to be interested in signing. My guess is he will end up signing somewhere, and then the end of the year he's going to retire. I I agree with you on that. Okay, I'm asking this question because it sets up another comment about this. But what was your opinion of the Chicago White Sox last week early against the Reds? Even though they're missing a lot of dudes, that team is really good. Um, pitching staff's really good, uh, you know. I really like um Johan Moncada. I think he's a really good player. Tim Anderson is serious trouble at the top of the lineup. They've got a really good baseball team. If they get healthy, they're going to be very, very scary by the end of the year. And then they, you know, as long as Tony LaRusso doesn't screw it up. Well, there you go. There are rumors abound in Chicago that says that there is a revolt going on inside the White Sox to get rid of Tony Larusa and a lot and it's coming from the players and you know because they feel like Tony Larusa is too old school and isn't adapting to the way that the players play the game nowadays I've never been a big Tony Larusa fan um I saw a couple things this weekend where they talked about him being arguably the greatest manager in the history of baseball he can't hold a candle to Earl Weaver. I mean, let's just let's just call it what it is. And there are other managers out there, Blake, that I know you've heard of, but but didn't see over the years. I, I can't call Tony Larusa a better manager than Joe Madden, even though Tony Larusa won three world championships. But if you look at Larusa's career, Blake, he should have won five or six with the teams that he had, including the team that lost four straight to the Reds. In 1990. In all honesty, I know the Reds were a good team that year, but the A's had more talent. And, and that oh, always sure. happened with LaRusa as manager of the A's. He definitely had a, has had a career that was kind of, um, let's just say right place, right time. Um, you know, in Oakland, you know, you get the, the Bass brothers and the Dennis Eckersleys and the, that group. In, in Oakland and you're really good and you get to St. Louis and you get super lucky. You got McGuire and those guys and they weren't very good before that. I mean, they were okay. They were a solid team, but then that run with Pujols and Carpenter and Wainwright and Yachty and, you know, he got to be a member of really good organizations, um, that were doing everything right and getting the right guys in the right spots at the right time. I mean, you got to, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, the baseball manager matters less than any other coach in any sport in, base, in, in, in professional sports. You know, if you've got the right dudes, anybody can write a lineup card. If you've got the right bullpen, anybody can pick a guy out of the bullpen to come in and throw. The, 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 the baseball is managed by the book, right? Like if it's, oh, they've got three lefties coming up, well, I guess I'm going to go to my lefty stud out of the bullpen. It's not that difficult of a decision most of the time. If you if you need a hit late in games, you're going to turn to your best bat on the bench. And everybody in the 
America knows who it's going to be. So I, I, I just don't think managers matter that much in baseball, especially nowadays, because um, there's, you know, less small ball played. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I would agree that Tony La Russa, while he has had a great career, that cannot be taken away from the man. Um, he is not the greatest manager of all time. Well, I've saved the best for last, and I think both you and I are going to have the same opinion on this. But the Amir Garrett suspension last week by Major League Baseball for what happened in the series against the Cubs. Um, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll, I won't steal your thunder. You tell me about it. <laughs> How much time you got, buddy? <laughs> go um, for it. It's absolutely unequivocally Flipping ridiculous. It is, I, we all thought the Nick Castellanos one was a joke. I actually thought this was a joke when I first saw it. Like I thought, oh, that's somebody being funny. Somebody's making the Nick Castellanos one into, uh, into a joke and, and they're making it even worse than it is. That is the, all he did was yell at a dugout and then they came out after him. Like what are we doing right now? And, and and apparently, if you don't play for the Reds, you can do whatever you want and not get suspended for it. But if you play for the Reds, you're going to get the worst suspension imaginable for it. It's absolutely a joke. The Major League Baseball should be flat out ashamed of themselves for that for that ruling. I mean, it's it's, it's borderline disgusting. They, you want these kids, these guys, these men to have fun, to play the game, to flip bats, to to celebrate, but when somebody does it and it turns into somebody else getting butt hurt and wanting to be fake fight about it, Javier Baez is one of the fake, fakest tough guys I've ever seen in my life. He he jumped over the rail and did nothing. Like if you're going to jump over a rail to come after somebody, go after him. Don't be don't be a little wuss about it. Like Amir Garrett got six or eight games for fighting the entire Pirates team, and he got seven games for yelling at somebody. What? the hell are we doing? I agree with you. I mean, when Baez made that move where he jumped over the fence, I mean, you expect the guy to be charging the mound. And it never happened. All he did was try to act like a a huge human being and that he was a bad guy and he was going to take care of it in front of his entire ball club. And, and, you know, I saw that, Blake, and the first thing I thought of was he didn't go to the, he didn't go to the mound. He just walked gingerly towards the third baseline and let everybody else pile out of the dugout in front of him. I wonder what that says about him in front of his teammates, that he'll lead the charge and let everybody else take care of it for him. And that's the first thing that came out of my head. It says he's softer than baby shit. Like, I don't understand this mentality nowadays, like, I, 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 if you're mad and you want to fight, all right, come on, let's go. Like, get over it. Let's do it. But if you're mad enough to jump the railing and you're not mad enough to do anything about it, sit back down. You're not a tough guy. You're not a hard guy. You are a little dude who got, who saw Amir Garrett being 6'5 and one of the best athletes in baseball and you knew you were going to get beat up. He already fought the whole Pittsburgh Pirates team. You knew, he knew he was going to get beat up. He was going to get Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura. Like, he knew that's what was coming, so he, he quietly was like, oh, no, I messed up. And he doesn't even get suspended. Well, in reality, he's the one that sparked the benches clearing, not Amir Garrett. Yeah. That's the part that bothers me. Like, if he just stands in the dugout and chirps, benches don't clear. If, if Garrett just says what he says and they get mad about it, benches don't clear. 
but because he jumped the fence, bench is clear, and now Amir Garrett is suspended for seven games. Wow. I just, baseball literally, like I'm going to say it again, and I know no one from MLB is going to hear this, but they should be ashamed of themselves. It's absolutely disgusting. Like, Nick Castellanos one was really bad. This is just, it, it's borderline cheating to take somebody. Now, that don't get me wrong, I'm cool with Amir Garrett not pitching right now, but he, it doesn't matter. That's, it's just wrong. It's just flat out the wrong decision, and they messed up big time. I, I agree with you. I mean, to me, I thought there should be no suspensions whatsoever. Maybe a heavy fine against both of them. Okay, fine. But what did they do that, that caused anything to be a suspension? But if you're going to suspend one, you've got to suspend the other guy. But for whatever reason, they decided that Baez didn't do anything. And I think the reason was, was because all he did was jump the fence and walk, like I said, gingerly toward the third base line and let everybody else attack Garrett. And then he stood back and watched everything happen. It's almost like what Castellanos did, although I'm not saying Castellanos was acting like like a coward, but Castellanos... He really just stood back and watched everybody else. Like, what's all the hullabaloo here, folks? Why, why is everybody upset? Yeah, and and I, I, I'm a firm believer in if the, that picture of Nick Cassianos that's actually my Facebook profile picture yelling at the pitcher from the Cardinals um, didn't become such the meme that it became, he probably doesn't get suspended. It, it's, it was that action and that visual that got him suspended. I don't even understand this one is, you cannot justify it. You could make a case that Nick Castellanos gave him a game. And I really thought when they went out with two, they were going to settle at one when he appealed. And then I was going to be more okay with it. But they didn't. And it's, this is a joke. An absolute joke. Like, even if he went, would win the appeal and get a knockdown to four games, it's still a joke. He shouldn't be anything more than a than a fine. And I know it's always different when they suspend relief pitchers because they want it to matter. Because theoretically, a reliever can go five, six days without throwing anyway. Um, but, it, yeah, no, nah, they have to do – it's, it's a joke. It's Whoever is in charge – I know I've heard the name a hundred times in the past couple weeks – of these disciplinary actions. It used to be Joe Torrey, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And whoever took Joe Torrey's job should be fired tomorrow. Like – and if I'm the MLBPA, that's part of my next negotiations and collective bargaining. Like, whoever is doing this is a dumpster fire, is an yeah. absolute joke. Yeah. I don't know who's doing it either, but I, here, here's my, my, I gave you your vent of the week. Now I'm going to go off on my vent of the week. And, and that is Angel Hernandez. You know, I, I have vented about this guy for <laughs> years now. And how this guy has kept his job is only because of the strength of the umpire's union. That's it. End of story. He is the worst baseball umpire in the history of baseball umpires. And that is not an accusation. That is a fact. When you go back and you look at the calls that Angel Hernandez has made throughout the years, it has constantly been like you just said about Major League Baseball in their suspension of Amir Garrett, a dumpster fire. This guy makes more errors in every game. And, you know, Terry Francona, I saw the play that happened in Kansas City. 
And Hernandez came out after the game and said, I guessed. Well, you guessed wrong. And even on top of that, Blake, the whole... I know everybody's had to see this play before. You've seen it, right? Correct. You've seen the play. Okay. When they focus in on Angel Hernandez and he says he's out, he was extremely definitive about it, wasn't he? His hand barely got up behind above his waist, signaling that the catch had been made. How is anybody on the field, let alone the base runners, supposed to know that? And then he just turns around and nonchalantly walks back to first base. The next day, he's behind home plate, and he calls a balk against Brian Singer. Now, I'll be honest, it was a balk. There's no doubt about it, it was a balk. But Hernandez's reputation as a terrible umpire destroys even the correct calls that he makes. And he has sued Major League Baseball for discrimination. He lost. They basically called him a terrible umpire. He has destroyed ball games. He's not allowed to, to umpire in a World Series anymore. He's barely allowed to umpire anything past a wild card game anymore. You've had CC Sabathia call him out as a terrible umpire. You've had other players call him out as a terrible umpire. You've seen Madison Baumgartner go after him. You've seen all these announcers go off the deep end about him. And I go back to a, a play that he called in Chicago one time when Hawk Harrelson was calling the games for the Chicago White Sox. And I thought Harrelson was going to come out of the broadcast booth and absolutely go nose to nose with Hernandez. You've seen guys in the Cubs games that have called him when they were singing the national or singing the take me out to the ball game. And I can't remember. It was a, uh, Steve Hampton. I think it was Steve Hampton of the Chicago bears was singing, take me out to the ball game. And he said, I'd like to take that home plate umpire out behind home plate right now and teach him a lesson or two. And he was, Yelling at Angel Hernandez. This guy is totally lost when it comes to being a baseball umpire. There's nobody worse. And Major League Baseball has got to do something about this, no matter what it is. Yeah, for sure. And the, I actually just Googled him, and there was another call yesterday's game in the White Sox uh uh, Royals game that it was four inches outside. He rung Tim Anderson up on the, the headline of the article I read is the latest debacle should, you know, force MLB to remove him from behind the plate forever. Um, my biggest issue with Azel Hernandez is one, he, he is a terrible umpire. He's atrocious. But the, the problem with umpires, especially guys like Angel Hernandez, he wants to be the show. Yeah. He wants to be the reason that people are in the stands and he wants to be demonstrative and he wants, you can't talk to the guy. And, you know, the best umpires are the ones you don't even realize are there. Like, you don't even need to know. Like, we talk about that all the time with, you know, college basketball. You want to not even realize the – call the fouls the fouls and call the non-fouls. Don't call them. Yep. Like, just call the game. We don't want to ever even acknowledge you. Um, and, and, you know, with us working a lot of D3 games, we see a lot of bad officiating and, and uh, across all sports, right? And, and that's okay. We get it. It's guys either working their way up or guys on their way to retirement, and that's fine. 
Um, nobody goes out and says, hey, my dream is to be a D3 baseball umpire. That's just <laughs> not the way it is. Um, so, so, you know, we live with it for the most part. But it's the guys that are, for lack of a better way to put it, douches about it. Like, he is, and Angel Hernandez is the worst example of that there is. He's, you can't even discuss him being bad with him. Like, my favorite thing ever with an umpire is, is or a referee or anything is when you question them on something, they're like, oh, man, I missed it. My bad. Like, yeah. okay, I can't argue with you anymore. You acknowledge the fact that you're wrong, and let's keep it moving. He won't do that. He can't do that. He has to come out and say, I guess. No, <laughs> dude, you got it wrong. Come out and say, hey, I'm sorry I missed it. It's my fault. I'll try to be better the next time out. Like, and then people will leave you alone. Stop being this, I don't know. Pretty yeah, it, it's not about you, Angel. It's not. A, it's about the players that are making multi-million dollars standing next to you. No one's there to pay to see Angel Hernandez call balls and strikes or miss calls in the field. No one cares. They don't care about you. They care about the players. They care about the teams. They care about the sanctity of the game. Yep. And you're jeopardizing that. You're costing people baseball games, and that's the real problem. Like, in that call with, I don't remember how exactly that call in that Indians game wound up, but, like, you know, you miss the call and dudes don't tag up or they do tag up, and the cost teams runs. That could cost you a game. If it costs you the game, you know, and then you miss the playoffs by one game, that's absolutely unacceptable. Yeah. Like, you can't be okay that you miss a call that cost me a game, and that game cost me an opportunity to playoffs. Because not only that, that's taking money out of those players' pockets. That's taking the ability, you know, and none of them are really hurting for money. Don't get me wrong. But, like, uh, how many times have we seen in a playoff run where a guy that's a bit of an unsung hero has a great run and turns it into millions of dollars in free agency? Uh, Pablo Sandoval, for one. Um, Carlos Beltran. Both good players. But both got massive contracts because of what they did in the playoffs. Not because of the play guy they were in the regular season. Because Garrett Cole, another one a couple years ago, he was a really good starting pitcher. But he was so dominant in the playoffs that he got the richest contract in pitching history. He's not the best pitcher of all time. He's really good. But if he doesn't have that opportunity in the playoffs because Angel Hernandez cost Houston a game, what are we talking about? Yep. How does this guy continue to have a job? I just don't get it, man. I, I felt like Terry Francona was very succinct and absolutely correct when he told the media after the game. I told Angel Hernandez after that bizarre call, I just said, why is it always happening when you're here? And that's, that's, that is the question that Major League Baseball should be asking about Hernandez. Why does this stuff only happen when he's around? And it's because he is absolutely terrible. So there's our events of the week. Blake, the Reds coming into today, 15 and 16 overall, but they're only four games behind St. Louis, and they're opening up at Pittsburgh. So maybe they can get something started against the Pirates this week. Yeah, they've had a, well, you know, they played a lot of games at home. They have played a relatively tough schedule to start the season. Um, big West Coast trip. You know, Arizona apparently has their number some, for some reason. Um, they haven't played the Pirates yet. Uh, 
You know, they haven't played the bad teams from the AL that they're, they're expected to play. Um, it's, I don't know. This team is, is, is kind of an enigma, man. They've got the talent. The hard part is they just yet to be able to put everybody together, right? Like, Lorenzen has yet to throw a pitch. Sonny Gray missed time. Moustakis missed time. Castellanos gets suspended. Now Votto's out a month. Suarez jockeying positions. Akiyama missed the first month of the season. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a weird team, but I still believe when they get everybody on the field, they have the roster they expected to have coming out of spring training, that the Reds are still a pretty good baseball team. Um, and it's similar to the way they started last year, you know, bullpen blowing games. The Reds could easily be three or four games over 500 if the bullpen didn't implode for a week and a half. Um, so I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that if they get healthy, get everybody going, that they're still a pretty good baseball team. And I expect that to kind of start this week with the Pirates because let's be honest, the Pirates are atrocious. Um, do you know what they've team- got a little, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, do you know what team right now in Major League Baseball has the biggest positive run scoring differential? I would guess the Reds. No. No, matter of <laughs> fact, the Reds, the Reds are at minus four. Wow. I mean, this is interesting. I'm going to, what's interesting about it is it happens in the American League Central. The Chicago White Sox have the biggest run scoring differential. They've got 43 more runs scored than they do giving up. That's 20 more than anybody in Major League Baseball, Blake. 20 more than anybody in Major League Baseball. Here's what's extremely interesting. Kansas City is 16 and 17. They've got a run scoring differential of negative 31 with a record of 16 and 17. But when you go to Minnesota, Minnesota's got a record of 12 and 20 on the year. They've got a run scoring differential of, get this, negative two. That's what's crazy. It's not about what, it's not about how many runs you score. It's about when you score them. Yeah. Yeah. The Indians are 18 and 14 heading into, well, they're off tonight, but they'll be back in action tomorrow night and they'll be at home taking on the Chicago Cubs in a two game series. And guess where I'll be on June 21st? I'll in be, the building? I'll be, <laughs> I'll be in Chicago watching the Cubs play the Indians. That'll be fun. I've never been to Wrigley. It's always been somewhere I want to get. That's where I, I've always wanted to go. I've been outside of it. I've never been inside. And Greg has got his tickets for Father's Day. We're going to see the Cubs and the Indians on that Monday night. Nonetheless, hey, we'll talk about it all again next week, okay? Sounds good. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Be sure to join us again next Monday night at 7 o'clock, and you can catch us on iTunes and on the website to rebroadcast all of the Ohio Baseball Weekly shows. For Blake Watson, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody.